Well, good morning. Thank you for changing your clocks and for getting up. And yeah, it was, it was a difficult thing last night to make a decision to go to bed when the Minnesota Wild were still playing. Um, but I did, uh, just so I could be here. And yeah, so we are uh, still in the book of Acts and excited this morning. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in Acts chapter 21. We're kind of getting close uh, to the end, 28 chapters uh, in the book of Acts. But one of the things I'm starting to, something's, something's happening to me. And that's a good thing. Hopefully you could say the same for you and your walk with Jesus. But you want to be growing. You want a pastor. That's my job. You want a pastor who's growing. Not who's like, yep, I'm there. It's my job to tell you how to get there too. Now I am, I'm growing. I'm learning. I'm trying to hear God's voice on a daily basis. And so one of the things that I've discovered is the longer you walk with Jesus, the more you spend time with him, pray. We've been in a season of learning how to pray and encourage you to come out to our Wednesday morning prayer meeting. It's early, it's at six, uh, or jump into our daily prayer rhythms. Things start to happen in your life when you do these things. God starts to breathe uh, in ways in you that you haven't experienced before. You move from just doing the things that you're supposed to do as a Christian or as somebody who's pursuing God to a being. You move from just knowing the stuff to being known. You move from, you know, I ought to live this way to I am compelled by the love of Jesus. I'm compelled to live this way. I can tell you also that the older I get, the more I love him, the more I love him, and the more I feel like I don't know enough about him. There's a depth, like you start to realize, like, wow, there's such a depth to who he is, but also this inner gut part of me that says, I can't help but follow him. I can't help it. I have to follow Jesus, even if it gets hard. So when I used to read these stories, and I actually remember, because I went to, as part of my time as a kid was at a Christian school, and then I switched over to a public school and went to Christian college. And, you know, so I remember the book of Acts and the, like James kind of showed us a couple of weeks ago too, the maps and the, the missionary journeys. And I always read it as necessary history. Kind of like, yeah, that's, he, he had to make these trips and he went here and then he went here and there were some really bad things that happened here, some good things happened here and then he went here and then he went here and then the Bible crossed the ocean to America and now we printed in faux leather bindings, right? It's kind of how I saw it. It was just like, yeah, it's just history. Like kind of you're sitting in history class and you're like, uh-huh, yeah, war, whatever that war and this thing happened and yeah, tea party and like I think about high school history stuff. Like that's kind of, it's like, yeah, I don't know. Like you're just trying to cram it to get it in. And so you should just read it to say, okay, so he went on these trips and he told people about Jesus and it's really important and we got the Bible now. And so isn't that great? Now I'm reading it and something's happening. Something's happening. I'm not just taking in the dates and the locations. I am experiencing something good and beautiful, a work of the Spirit of God. I'm asking different questions, deeper questions, not because I'm more mature, I've, I've reached this level of, you know, intellectual sophistication. No, it's just, it's like I have to ask them. I'm watching Paul live this life for Jesus, 
And I'm aware of spiritual battle in my own life. Are you aware of the spiritual battle happening around you? Are you aware of that in your families? Do you see it when you go to work? Do you see it in our world, the stuff that's happening on the news? Isn't it interesting how we can become kind of numb to things that keep going on for a long time? For example, the war in Ukraine. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? Like you first starts happening and it's, it captures us and we're, we're moved. And then it's like, oh, is that still going on? And we see, oh yeah, another more missiles. But we don't connect that that's somebody's house and that's, a, that's somebody's family. And so I'm aware of the spiritual battle of battlegrounds for your heart, for my heart, for our church to continue to be a place that says Jesus is the only way. I've never been more excited about the kingdom of God. And that's what's happening as I read this stuff. It's not just history. I feel like I'm in it. And I hope you experience that too. I'm, I'm experiencing the kingdom of God and a king who is fighting for us. And so I wanted to set that up this morning as we read, because it, it starts to all look the same. You hear the same, Paul goes here, he goes here, here's another fight, here's this, oh, they're asking him to do this. But there's, there's something that's supposed to happen in you today. Let me just say that. Not for me to make it happen, but there's something that's supposed to happen. There's a, there's a hook that God wants to put in your heart where you'll go, well, that's bothering me. <laughs> that's bothering me. And you should let it. You should let it. That's what I'm starting to do. I'm reading these stories, not just like, oh my, and I'll, I'll be honest, like with the book of Acts, it's long. It is stinking long. And I got, and I was like, where are we? Man, you mean James didn't make it through 25? <laughs> like I was like, it's so long. And, but then I start to let it just sit just sit with the truth of Scripture. Let it do its thing in you. Let God's Word with the Holy Spirit grab you and say, I want to do something in you. So Acts 21, we're going to start verse 1, uh, the first section here. And this is Paul heading to some more towns, more history, right? No, no. Here we go. Uh, so after we tore ourselves away from them right away, we tore ourselves away from them. You're like, this is some important people to him. These, these are deep relationships, which is what we're supposed to have in the body of Christ. We tore ourselves away from them. We set sail straight for cause, then the next day to Rhodes and from there to Patara. And if you, James had that cool map, basically these are port cities. They were necessary and tedious port cities to deliver grain. And so they kind of had to do these things. But then it says, but then we finally got a ship and we crossed over to Phoenicia. Like we're getting some ground now. We don't have to keep making these little stops. We boarded and set sail after we sighted Cyprus because there's no port in Cyprus. They can't go there. They passed to the south of it. We sailed on to Syria and arrived at Tyre since the ship was to unload its cargo there. We sought out the disciples. We stayed there seven days. Really good thing that they could seek out the disciples and stay in their house because the hotels or the places that were for public you know, use usually were brothels. And so they were able to stay with the disciples seven days. And then listen to this. Through the Spirit, they told Paul not to go to Jerusalem. As soon as I see something like that, I ask a question. How'd they do that? 
how did they how did they hear from the spirit that he wasn't that he shouldn't go to Jerusalem just just let it sit when our time had come to an end we left to continue our journey while all of them with their wives and children accompanied us out of the city after kneeling down on the beach to pray pretty cool i love that scene we said farewell to one another boarded the ship and they returned home. When we completed our voyage from Tyre, we went to Ptolemy, where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed with them for a day. The next day we left and came to Caesarea, where we entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven and stayed with them. This man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. After we'd been there for several days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. He came to us, took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet, and said, this is what the Holy Spirit says. Well, I'm already, again, asking the question, how's he doing this? How does he know? In this way, the Jews in Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him over to the Gentiles. Imagine that. You got a bunch of people over for dinner and somebody comes over and takes your belt off and says, hang on a second, can I just wrap your feet up and tell you something about your future? No, please leave. Like, this is, but this is what he's doing. When he heard this, both we and the local people pleaded with him not to go to Jerusalem. Then Paul replied, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking, you're breaking my heart here. I'm not only, I'm ready, not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Since he would not be persuaded, we said no more except the Lord's will be done. Now you got a bunch of names. You got some weird stuff happening in houses. Paul's going from this city to that city. And you're saying, I live in 2023 and I live right here. And what in the world does this have to do with me? What does this have to do with me? What does God want to do in my heart with a, a story like this? Is it just to say, oh yeah, that's great. Good history. So first thing, the Spirit of God is telling Paul's friends about him. Just think about that for a second. The Spirit of God is telling Paul's friends that he's heading into trouble. What is this? This is called prophecy. Prophecy in the New Testament. And Peter, when he got up to speak, beginning of Acts, remember if you were here, he quoted from Joel 2. After this, I'll pour out my spirit on all humanity. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will have dreams. So it was fulfilled. And on a practical level, isn't it amazing that God will speak to others on your behalf? And is it also a little bit kind of scary to think about that? Moms and dads, the Lord will tell you about your kids. Do you have a sense sometimes like when they're like, you just, you're just, you're in there like, you know, doing something, working on something in the house. And then you just kind of have this like, hey, I need to go check on them. There's just, there's this sixth type of sense, but I have had dreams at times about my kids and been prompted and I get up because I'm getting older and I got to go to the bathroom so many times in the night. What in the world? But Walking down the hall, it's, I usually like, sometimes I would get up and I would have, have had a dream and I would be so compelled to pray for one of my kids. Maybe just to pray, but then sometimes I would even ask, hey, is everything all right? And sure enough, you maybe find out that something is wrong. Something's bothering them. God will, he will reveal. And so to all you kids, 
you can't hide. <laughs> but also, you can't hide. God loves you to all you adults. You can't hide. He loves you. He cares. Not in a scary way, but in a way that says, hey, if you are following Jesus and if you are pursuing a secret life of sin that you think you are the only one that knows, God will tell your friends and family something's wrong. Something's wrong. I look at this story and I see them speaking to Paul about trouble that he is heading into. And guess what? They're right. They are right. I think about this. You're never isolated in the body of Christ. You're always going to have people who care for you and who are in your corner. You're going to have other people that will be jerks too. But you're always going to have people, if you want it, who will be hearing from Jesus. Now, prophecy in the New Testament can be accurate and kind of inaccurate. Because what happens? They say, and Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians, he says, don't despise prophecy. You may be somebody who's like, what in the world? I don't know about this. He says, don't despise prophecy. In fact, another verse he actually tells me, I really want you to prophesy. I want you to be hearing from the Lord. He says, but test everything, test all things, hold on to what is good, stay away from every kind of evil. Also in Corinthians, two or three prophets should speak. So later in the service, we're going to let two or three prophets speak. Just kidding. <laughs> we don't do that. But it's kind of interesting to see that they did in their service. Two or three prophets should speak. And then it says, and the others should evaluate. Now, I, I think I've told you guys this before. I have people in my life that hear from the Lord and they send me stuff and I weigh it and I listen. And sometimes it is on the nose. And sometimes I'm like, well, that's weird. That doesn't make sense at all. They're accurate that Paul is heading into trouble. And so they spot it, they sense it, and their advice is don't go to Jerusalem. Don't go. So they're accurate that trouble's coming. They're inaccurate on the application. Interesting. Got to let that happen. And so rough waters up ahead, Paul. This is actually a picture of Jerusalem modern day, and there's always stuff going on there. There's always, it's like, it's almost like everything's always at this boiling point potential. We're going this summer with a team and to go study and to learn and to worship and to experience the Holy Land. And you go to what's downtown and by the Western Wall, and there's like times when this certain group of people can be there and times when this group and this group is in charge of this part and this group is in charge of this part. And there's Israeli IDF standing around with guns and you're just like, wow, what is going on here? I think it's a visible representation of exactly what Paul was walking into. Exactly what he was walking into. And they say, don't go. Doesn't it seem like a bad idea to go into this? So he listens. And I think he appreciates their care. That's why he says that. What are you doing? You're breaking my heart. You're breaking my heart. Kind of reveals a little bit of the relationship. And he says, I agree with you. And I can confirm that there is trouble ahead. But I got to go. I've got to go. I have set my heart to follow the way of Jesus. So just like Jesus, and we're reminded Luke 9, Jesus said when the days were coming to a close for him to be taken up, he determined to go to Jerusalem, even knowing it would mean death. Luke 18, he said, hey, we're going to Jerusalem. And what's going to happen there is I'm going to be handed over to the Gentiles. I'm going to be mocked, insulted, spit upon, flogged, 
killed, but then I'm going to rise on the third day. I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. James beautifully preached a couple of weeks ago uh, a verse in Acts 20. I do not count my life of any value or as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I've received. For I am ready to give everything for Jesus. So I ask myself, am I? Can you say the same? I am ready, no matter what, to give everything for Jesus. Why is he able to do this? Why is this so clear to him? Why does he have clarity? And what is that clarity? He has a deep understanding, not just of his own salvation. Of course, he knows he was saved out of his own life of sin, but he knows his place in the kingdom. He knows where he's standing. He knows his mission. He knows the mission. He's got a love for Jesus, and he understands God's eternal love. So I was praying about this passage this week. I'm laying in bed, thinking about it, trying to get stuff ready for this, this morning. This is early in the week. And I asked the Lord, I was like, do I have this kind of clarity? And you may be like, well, yeah, you're a pastor. Like, that doesn't count that doesn't count. Do I have this kind of understanding of my place in God's kingdom? Do I, could I say I'm ready no matter what, Lord? And what was my answer? TBD. <laughs> to be determined. I want it. I, I want it, Lord. I think I want it. I think I'm there. And so I am compelled not just by the historical lesson of Acts and the different cities that Paul's going to. I am compelled by the man following Jesus and how he's following Jesus. And I'll say this, I generally try to avoid trouble. How about you? <laughs> yeah, we don't want trouble. We don't want trouble. So what persuades somebody to head into it? Only a deep sense of who they are in Christ and a deep sense of his love and his love for others. Something's got to give and Paul is fine with it being him. Peter said this, you were called to this because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps to suffer. That is not how we roll in Western Christianity, is it? We don't have a good theology, which just means our biblical God, theos, God, logos, words, thinking about suffering, do we? We don't. If somebody said to you, hey, what's your theology of suffering? You'd be like, huh? <laughs> what? What are you talking about? I don't, I, I, nothing. I don't. I don't like it. I don't like it. You were called to this. That's what Peter's saying. That's what Paul is doing. You were called to suffer with Jesus. Paul knows what God has called him to. He was called as a voice to the Gentiles. So this is interesting. He's going to go to Jerusalem, and he knows there's trouble. But here's what he's thinking. I know I've got to get to the Gentiles. And where he's from is Tarshish, which 
is also known as Spain. In that time, Spain was the westernmost city of the known world. Because what did they see beyond that? Water. <laughs> so in Paul's mind, now he didn't have the maps like we have. He didn't know that there was North and South America and all the stuff that we would, you know, things would be discovered later. He stood there and he's like, of what I know of the Gentile nations, Tarshish. It's a weird word to say. Tarshish. Tarshish. Spain. <laughs> Spain is the last place. So even if I go to Jerusalem, I don't think I'm going to die. I don't think I'm going to die. It will be bad, but God has me on this mission. I've got to get it done. So the questions that mess with me. And if the Bible messes with you, let it. I'm learning this. I'm learning this. If a passage of scripture or a concept like suffering or like somebody living like this messes with you, let it. Don't try to get rid of it. Don't try to explain it away. Don't say, well, that's not really my call. Let it mess with you. And so what are the deeper questions? Do you know your place? Not just to be saved. That's the beginning of our life in Christ. Do you know your place your part in the kingdom of God. What is it about Jesus? And this is where I landed just on these first few verses. What is it about Jesus and his kingdom that could cause a human being to abandon everything for him? Do I know this, Jesus? Do you? What version of Jesus do we know? It's just, I like to put questions like this because this is what the text is supposed to do. This is how the Holy Spirit uses it. Get in you and hook some things and have it messing with you when you wake up tomorrow. That's what it's supposed to do. When you wake up tomorrow and you set out on your day to be asking these questions. Do I know this version of you, Jesus? Am I this committed? Am I set like Paul? Am I able to listen and know the voice of God? Verse 15, after this, we got ready. Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. And we went to Jerusalem. He went anyway. Some of the disciples from Caesarea also went with us and brought us Manasin. It's just such a weird name. Manasin, Mason, Nason, Manasin of Cyprus to an early disciple with whom we were to stay. When we reached Jerusalem, the brothers and sisters welcomed us warmly. The following day, Paul went in with us to James, brother of Jesus. Okay, pretty cool. Just think about this stuff. These are real people, real people. James grew up with Jesus in the same house. So brother of Jesus, one of the leaders, all the elders were present. After, he, after greeting them, he reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. When they heard it, they glorified God. That's awesome. Hey, listen, we got to tell you something. Just let that moment hang there a little bit. Because it's not like, yay, this is awesome. You, they, you see right here in the text, they're like, they glorify God. And then they said, but you see, brother, how many thousands of Jews there are here in Jerusalem? In Jerusalem. We have Gentiles. Great, 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 great. Do you see how many there are in Jerusalem that have believed? They're all zealous for the law. 
But they've been informed about you that you are teaching all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to abandon Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or to live according to the customs. So what is to be done about this, Paul? They will certainly hear that you've come and they're going to be upset. I'm just telling you, they've been hearing this stuff about you. So here's a plan. Do this. Here's what we want you to do. We got four guys. They're new. They're making their Nazarite vows. And we want you to take them and purify yourself along with them. This would be shave your head, seven days of purification in the temple. You know, we know you've been doing this whole thing out there among the Gentiles, but we want you to do this really, really, really Jewish thing. Pay for them also out of your own pocket to go through this process. Then everybody will know that what they were told about you just amounts to nothing but that you yourself are also careful about observing the law. With regard to the Gentiles who have believed, we've written a letter containing our decision that they should keep themselves from food sacrifice to idols, from blood, from what is strangled, and from sexual immorality. So the next day, Paul took them in, having purified himself along with them and entered the temple announcing the completion of the purification days when the offering would be made for each of them. Again, a weird story, and one you may say, how does that relate to me here in 2023? (laughs) Can it be difficult to celebrate others and their success? Let's say you got a coworker who's a really good friend. You both work in the same department. You've both been doing this for the same time. You both hope for promotion, but they get it. And you're like... I'm so happy for you. And you're doing the right thing. You say the right things, but what ha- what's going on in your heart? <sighs> Lord, come on. What about me? Classmate you're with gets into the school that you don't get into. Same grades, same. Pers- that kind of stuff's real for us. And don't skip over it when you see Paul, the new guy, who used to be a really, really bad guy (laughs) who was killing people, who was having all this success. And so the Jews are like, yeah, that's just awesome. That's great. It's hard to celebrate people, but there's more happening here because not only do they not just jump right in and say, this is awesome. They say, that's great. Wow. Glory to God. Now listen here. Here's what's going on. So they're already taking it a different direction. And so they say, look, look how many thousands of Jews have believed here in Jerusalem. I don't know why the translations sometimes do this, but actually what James literally said in the Greek is many ten thousands have believed. Scholars estimate that was at least 50,000 people. That is one-tenth of the population of Jerusalem. Wow. Wow. One-tenth of the population of Jerusalem has believed in Jesus as the Messiah. This is huge. And so it's not just this little thing like, hey, there's, a, there's some people over here that have some problems with you. There are a lot of people. And they say, we've been told about you, though, that you don't care as much about the law anymore. You don't think people need to circumcise their kids and live according to the customs. Because people believed in Jesus the Messiah 
But here's the thing. And I want you to get this right here. I want you to think about this. But they also thought, and I need to be doing this to show my devotion to Jesus. I want to do, I want to, I want to believe in him. And what that means for me is this. Now, sometimes this is not what somebody else thinks is important. And we can look at this thing and say, you don't think this is important? Well, I don't even know if you're a Christian. Oops. So here's something that Paul is being asked to do. And just so you know, too, this, this wasn't a small thing. This wasn't like a little disagreement about like, hey, let's have a conversation about this. In Jerusalem, there were temple assassins called Sicarii that were, you know who they killed? People who collaborated with the Gentiles. They would walk among the temple and they had these daggers hidden in their garments. They were shaped in a funny way and they would walk up and they'd hear somebody who had been collaborating with the Gentiles and they're like, hey, hide it and walk away. They're on the ground, they're dead. So when they're saying, hey, there are people have problems with you, Paul. They hear that you're not quite for our Jewish ways and that you are, you know, with them. Now, they know God has given this mission, so it's not straight like everything's black and white in this, but they think this is dangerous for Paul. They think this is dangerous for him to be not pursuing. So here's a plan. We want you to do this religious thing so that they will know you're serious about being Jewish. Do we have examples of this? How about, and I'll just say this, I'm, now I'm at the place, I'm old enough, I'm old enough, 51, woohoo, to have crossed the threshold of there were certain songs that I liked that now there are new songs that I kind of like. And my mom and dad, I liked other songs, and my grandmother liked other songs, and churches have actually, we know this, because it may be why you came here, because you were at a church that used to be in this one, and you're like, well, I kind of feel something different when I'm in this one, but now they started singing these, and I don't like those songs, and I don't like it especially when they do songs the whole time. Like last week. That's why I didn't come. <laughs> right? This is kind of what's going on, even though, it, you know, we, wouldn't, we don't have assassins. <laughs> that might kill you if you don't do it. But that's what they, it was, a, it was a thing that Paul, it wasn't important. It wasn't important. <laughs> he didn't need to do this. This wasn't essential. He could, you know, so what are you going to do, Paul? What are you going to do? He goes, okay. And I am going, no. You just went like, what are you talking about? What are you saying to the people you're administering to in the Gentile city? You're going back and you're shaving your head and you're doing this vow. And this is actually something where scholars are like, what is he doing? He's been all about not being that the law is important. So we see this happening in scripture. This idea, not the thing, but what is being modeled in front of us. We can hear about it again and again. 
And we are going to start to understand that this is the way of Jesus, but it still sounds odd to us. And here's what we're confronted with in Paul. The strange act of humility. What a weird thing to do to humble yourself with other people in something that you know is not necessary, Paul. And it wasn't. It wasn't. It's like, honestly, like with them saying, hey, we want you to shave your head, do seven days. It's like somebody today saying, we have to have the creed and the Lord's prayer and hymns only. And we want you to do this for seven days and show everybody that you still love hymns and that you still love to do the liturgy. Like that's what we need to see. And Paul's, okay, I'll do it. Humble and mutual submission to others is a monumental task. It is a foreign and foolish pursuit in the 21st century, and nobody teaches about it except Jesus. Name one thing you've been a part of, one organization that's like, hey, we're going to be all about mutual, humble submission to each other and to the world and to any of our clients. No, this is a Jesus thing. And when we read something or we experience something in the world that says to us to submit to one another, to turn the other cheek, to pray for our enemies, to love them, our insides are scrambling to add qualifiers to say, yeah, but we just have to explain it away. We got to dial it down. It's got to be metaphor, right? Nobody in the right mind would do this. This is just weird. Scholar I've been reading recently, a guy named Michael Heiser says this, if you come across a weird concept or passage in, uh, weird passage or a concept in scripture, it's important. <laughs> it's important. This is weird. This is weird that he does this. He humbles himself. Why is it weird? Because Paul could have come out swinging. You want me to do what? Can I tell you what I've been through out there telling people about Jesus? I've been stoned. I've been shipwrecked. I have seen several riots start. I've been beat up and bruised and bloody. And you want me to shave my head and pay for people to do something that doesn't even matter when it comes to salvation? So why is Paul humbling himself? This is the real question. What is it about his relationship with Jesus that causes him in this moment to say, okay, in his letter to the first, in first Corinthians, the letter to the church at Corinth, he says this, although I am free from all and not anybody's slave, I have made myself a slave to everybody in order to win more people. To the Jews, here it is. I became like a Jew to win them to those under the law. Mm like one under the law, though I might, listen to this, though I myself am not under the law. Interesting. I can celebrate that that makes you feel closer to Jesus. I don't have to have you change to do my thing the way I insist upon it being done. I think the Western church and I have been a part of this. I was this at a certain point, we look for the thing that makes it what we want. I want it. I want what I want. 
And I'll keep looking. And as soon as you mess up and do something that isn't how I've always done it or how we think it should be done, well, I'll just go somewhere else. And nobody ends up finding the beauty of being on mission with Jesus. To those under the law, I became like one under the law to win them. To those who are without the law, Gentiles, hey, let's have bacon. <laughs> like, I will do whatever. Why? Because I want to win them. To the weak, I became weak in order to win the weak. And here's the famous verse, if you've never heard it. I have become all things to all people so that I may by every possible means save some. So I had a great conversation with a friend last week at um, Worship Sunday, and they came up to me and really appreciated the honesty and the candor. Older gentleman, very faithful servant of the Lord, been here for so many years, and said this, I did not want to come today. I actually asked my wife if I could not come today. <laughs> and she said no. <laughs> Which the fact that he was there, I thought, this is beautiful. This is already mutual submission in this, this marriage. But we talked about this. And I actually said this. When you come into Worship Sunday, or you come in on a normal Sunday, and let's say the preaching, the preacher's just a tool, and you don't like it, and it's not like how you used to hear when there was good old expository preaching. Sorry, folks. It's just not me. <laughs> I don't know how to do it. Or the worship is... Two decibels too loud. Or, I mean, we're praying so much. Why did that person have their hands raised? That really bothers me. Put your hands down. Put your hands down. <laughs> yeah, you know you want to do it, right? Sometimes you see somebody and, you, and they're like worshiping and you're like several things going through your head. Well, what is wrong with them? Well, what is wrong with me then? If I'm not doing, am I supposed to be doing that? What in the world is this? I'm going to a new church. <laughs> but what, I, what we talked about, and this is something I've learned to do, is when you walk in and if it's like, ah, this isn't connecting with me, don't immediately be like, so, guess I'm out. <laughs> Grocery list. I got to fix that thing. What time does the game start? No, you start looking around. You start looking around. And you watch the Spirit of God at work in somebody else. And they may be doing this thing, whatever it is. And you can say, okay, okay, Lord, that's not my thing, but I can celebrate that because look at what it's doing to them. <laughs> look at what it's doing to them. I am convinced, especially, this is one of the reasons why we keep doing it. Worship Sunday is the one of the most difficult things that we do just from a staff and volunteer level. You know why? Because we can sit there and it's like, you can, you can just feel the battle and you, we hear it. We hear it from people and some people are like, this is awesome. And other people are like, I hate this. And you know, it's like, okay. And when I hear that, I know we're onto something. We're on a growth edge, something where we need to move to. Just like I knew my hesitation with prayer, I knew it was a growth edge. And so in this, Paul says, I'll do it. I can celebrate this. Does this make you feel closer to Jesus? As long as you say you don't have to have it to be saved, I'm glad to do it with you. I'll celebrate. 
My favorite things coming to Pleasant Valley was watching, and they both have gone home to be with Jesus, Lee and Jan Jones sit right there every week. Some of our seniors who, they didn't know these songs. <laughs> they preferred the Gaithers. They preferred older hymns. But man, every week, and I was the worship guy, and I heard, I, you get earfuls from people, of how they hate this and how they hate this. And the, I would get tears in Lee's eyes. You keep doing what you're doing. Celebrating, celebrating what the Lord was doing. So this is what Paul is doing. The strange act of humility is a beautiful thing. Paul shows tremendous humility and it's strange, but it's a Jesus strange so that people can know him. That's what he wants. He is in lockstep with the spirit. He's listening. He's soft. He's tender to Jesus. He's making tremendous gestures of caring for others, even though he's about to face really difficult stuff. Do we relate to Jesus this way? This is a question. Are we willing to humble ourselves to each other, submitting to Jesus and one another? Last few verses. When the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw him in the temple, shaved head and all. They stirred up the whole crowd. They grabbed him. They shouted, fellow Israelites, help. This is the guy who teaches everyone everywhere against our people, our law, and this place. What's more, he brought Greeks into the temple. He's defiled this holy place. So they'd previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, in the city with him. They supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. The whole city was stirred up. The people rushed together. They seized Paul, dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. As they were trying to kill him, fun day at church, word went up to the commander of the regiment that all Jerusalem was in chaos. Taking along soldiers and centurions, he immediately ran down to them. This is hundreds of soldiers, by the way. Seeing the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the commander approached, took him into custody, ordered him to be bound with two chains, asked who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another. Thanks, Luke. Since he was not able to get reliable information because of the uproar, he ordered him to be taken into the barracks. When Paul got to the steps, he had to be carried. He had to be carried because of the violence of the crowd. He couldn't walk. That's how bad it was. For the mass of people yelling, get rid of him. Get rid of him. So another riot breaks out. Now, by this time, we've seen so many riots in the book of Acts that you may be like, ho-hum, a riot. What was it? Is it on the news? You can kind of see people are upset, throwing stuff, breaking glass. No. Josephus, the historian, actually says this under one of the Roman governors, Cuminus, who was after Felix, which we're going to read about in Acts 23. A Roman soldier in the temple lewdly exposed himself. Josephus estimated that 10,000 people were trampled to death when this guy did this. 10,000 people were trampled to death in the ensuing riot. Another one, a soldier burned a Jewish law scroll. The crowds demanded he be executed. They were so persuasive. Cuminus, the governor, did it. He killed the Roman soldier, executed him. One final one. 
less than a decade, a war would happen because of this, would produce massacres, thousands and thousands, over 20,000 Jews slaughtered in Caesarea in one hour because of this kind of stuff. So this isn't little stuff that's happening. When they say riot, you should say, oh no, this is so bad. No small thing, but Paul is accused of hanging out with the wrong people. May we be so accused in this day and age. May we be accused of hanging out with the wrong people because that is what Jesus does. That is what Jesus does. How dare you bring them in here? I hope every week at Pleasant Valley that there would be people coming in here. We would be like, whoa, what are, okay, I guess anybody's allowed in here. We should feel that though. If we're a church that is healthy, we should have people that have been walking with Jesus a long time and others who are coming in here going, I don't even know if I believe in God. May we be so accused. May we have people. May we bring people. But more than bringing them here, may you pursue them. Pursue them. May they come to your house. May they hear your voice. I actually heard this this week. One of the most powerful things we have right now in our culture isn't our ability to put together a well-articulated argument or debate. It's prayer. Prayer, and not just, I'm doing this in secret. I just want to challenge you. I'm just going to say it. This is something God put in my heart this week. And there are, there are people that I pray for every week. I play old timers hockey on Thursday nights. I'm not that good, but I pray for those guys. Daily, I pray for them, that they would know the love of Jesus. And I want to challenge you, not just to pray for the people that are around you. I want you to pray for them. And then I want you to see them and actually say this. Hey, listen, I've been praying for you. What? <laughs> yeah, like kind of uh, often the Lord puts you on my mind. I just wanted to know, is there anything specific I can pray for? Most people will say, well, sh sure. They're not going to reject that. It's a powerful way to be doing what Paul was doing. Just to mention to people that you care about them and that you want them to know what you know and that you, even if they're like, hey, thanks a lot, I don't believe in that kind of thing, but yeah, sure, pray for my kid to blah, blah, blah. <laughs> They'll do it. They'll tell you. There were signs in the temple area. There were little four-foot walls separating the courts. And there were signs everywhere that read this. This is interesting. Any foreigner who passes this point is responsible for his own death. Wow. That's what they mean when Paul took somebody in, but Paul had a Gentile who knew Jesus and said, come on in, let's go right in. And that's why they're flipping out. And actually there were laws that they could execute swift justice for anybody that violated this. They could kill him. If you were following Jesus and ministering in his name, you will be accused. Get used to it. Get used to it. But don't forget the Spirit of God is leading him here. Last section of verses, he's bending the knee and humbling himself. In this section, he had brought somebody into the temple that caused them to be so upset that they were going to kill him. I want to finish with this right here. And this is just kind of what I want you to think about. 
I want you to get into the head and heart of Paul. What is he thinking? What is he thinking in this moment when violence is breaking out around him? They're trying to kill him. They're not just saying bad words. He can feel this. They're beating him. He's got bruises. He's bleeding. Perhaps in the middle of it, he would have written these words in this three-year time period and during this third missionary journey. Maybe he heard these words. My grace is sufficient for you. You won't die. You won't die. You're still alive. You're still breathing. I've got a mission for you. We don't have his inner dialogue, but we can imagine it just by reading his letters, reading what he wrote to the church at Corinth. What about the people that were beating him? Like, it's one thing to say, yeah, I'm on mission. I've got to get to Tarshish. But what about the people, this guy, spittle coming out of his mouth. I hate you. Forgive or fight back. You would probably have a conflict in your heart right now, because I do, in our current world of when to make that decision. There are things that make us afraid, right? Where we think, I would defend and I would fight. When do you forgive and when do you fight back? He had witnessed Stephen's stoning And the guy is acting like Jesus. I think we also look to Paul's words that say this. Our struggle is not this guy who's hitting me. It's not against flesh and blood, but it against the rulers, against the powers, against the world rulers of this darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. Not flesh and blood. It sure seems like it. That guy hit me. Paul said, nope. It's not flesh and blood. One phrase in particular, and we're going to finish with this phrase here, caught my attention as I read this. Get rid of him. Get rid of him. What was he thinking at that moment? Did he just say that? (laughs) Get rid of him. He doesn't deserve to live. So here's a question. Why live like this? Why live? Why do this? Why pursue a life in Christ? Why Tell other people about him if it's going to lead to this. Some people actually try to figure out a way to do it without having any conflict. I've definitely tried to do that. You try to find a way to share that doesn't cause anybody to feel any, anything. But why do this? And the other question, who is Jesus that he actually will pursue a life that could end in his death? This messes with me. Does it mess with you? How can Jesus capture someone's heart in such a way that they won't tap out even under the worst physical, mental, and spiritual circumstances? Who is this God that will allow us to go through suffering and then use it to tear down strongholds of evil powers and forces? How could suffering under violence, humbling oneself amidst others who don't know what you're doing, Facing the gates of hell head on with love, compassion, grace, mercy, wisdom, resilience, even begin to be an effective means for changing the world. That's how. (laughs) That is what he did. That is the message. How does God fight? He fights with that. He fights with that. 
That's what Paul's got in his head. He doesn't have to fight the world because Jesus has defeated the spiritual forces of darkness. God's warfare is shaped like a cross. God's warfare is shaped like a cross. So even if you hear, get rid of him, get rid of her, Lord, I'm yours. What is spiritual warfare? The Great Commission. That's your answer. That is the answer. What is spiritual warfare? You tell people about Jesus. And whatever comes, comes. Our way to do battle is to answer that call, to tell everyone that the king has conquered death, to be compelled by the love of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I'm asking that question. Am I so compelled? Is my heart so consumed by who you are, Lord, that I'm ready to go to Jerusalem, my own Jerusalem? Lord, I'm ready to humble myself, mutual, humble submission to somebody else or to allow my own preferences and the things that I want to take a back seat to your kingdom, to seeing somebody else come to know you. And Lord, I am so confused sometimes by Paul. And I think that's why this action he did in the middle to say, sure, why not? I'll go ahead and shave my head. It's, it's the love of Jesus. It's you compelling him, Lord. And even if we hear, and we for sure are hearing, Lord, it's in our, we could find articles out there uh, on the, in the news about the decline of Christianity and less and less people going to church and Christians are so offensive and they need to dial it, all this stuff, Lord. We can hear it. We can hear it. And our answer is not to circle up and hold on till you get back. Our answer is still to fight the battle with humility, with love, with compassion, mutual submission to one another. Lord Jesus, use us, compel us. God, we ask that just as we uh, open our hearts to listen to your spirit, to your word, um, would you speak? Would you speak through these songs? Oh, Lord, if you're stirring in this room any uh, the way we kind of have done on Worship Sunday, Lord, I'll just uh, you may be stirring somebody today to pray for another person in this room. God, maybe right here is the moment where somebody says, okay, I'm not going to sit here with my arms crossed because I don't like this song. I'm going to look around the room. I'm going to pray for people. I'm going to ask God if he has a word for somebody that I can speak to their heart to encourage them. Lord, lead us. We trust you. Compel us by your love, Jesus. Amen.